I said, I'm excited to be here because God's with us and we are standing in his presence. And he is here because he desires to give good gifts to his children. So we stand here in the sanctuary or you at home, wherever you be, just on the receiving end of what God wants to do. So that just makes me all happy and excited. As you know that we're in this series called You Be, You Do You. And we're talking about how do we become the authentic people that God has created us to be? How do we live as an authentic people? And as we know, what we need to be authentic is we need the power of God to be working on our inner person so we become more like Jesus Christ. That's how we become authentic when we become like Christ. So as I've been saying for the last few weeks, what we're doing this year is we're studying spiritual gifts and we're studying spiritual formation as well as spiritual conflict. But behind spiritual gifts and behind formation and spiritual conflict is spiritual power. A big part of the series is how do we handle spiritual power? See, the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 12 says, I do not want you to be uninformed about spiritual gifts. And by extension, what Paul is saying is, I don't want you to be uninformed about spiritual power. So we're here today to talk about spiritual power because spiritual power, as we all know, has the power to transform our lives, our family, our marriage, our community, our city, and the nations of the world. But we're also well aware that there's some danger that can happen when you talk about spiritual power. Spiritual power can hurt people as well. So in an attempt to be very safe and not hurt anybody, a lot of churches said, well, let's not use spiritual power. Let's not rely on spiritual power. Maybe we'll just ignore spiritual gifts and pretend they're not there because, you know, some people have been hurt by spiritual gifts or by some people that were using spiritual gifts. Well, that's just not a good solution either. God intended for us to rely on this Holy Spirit. God intended for each of us to use uh, spiritual gifts. God didn't want us to rely on knowledge, but God wanted us to have an experience where there's a merging of knowledge and there's a merging of experience so we understand the fullness of God. But we do understand that there are risks when you talk about spiritual power, so we want to be careful. So before we talk about spiritual power and the gifts of the Holy Spirit, it's important that we pause and we talk a little bit about character and integrity, that we talk about developing the fruit of the Spirit in our life. See, just as an electrician, when they're training an electrician how to work with power, each of us, as followers of Jesus, need to understand how to work with power. Now, quite often, what you're going to do is you train an electrician to work with power. You say, Here, here's how to turn off power. Well, sometimes an electrician has to work with the power on. And they know how to be very careful to work with electricity while the power is on. And that's what we do as followers of Jesus. We have to learn carefully how to work with power while the power is on. So before we get into my message today, I want to talk about a story about the prophet Moses in the Old Testament. Some of you might remember the story of Moses in, in Numbers 17. It's a story about how Moses struck a rock to get water out of that rock. It's a story that I think sometimes we forget the real significance of that story and we forget what, don't really see what God's speaking to each of us through that story. So I want to draw your attention to that story for a few moments this morning as we begin to talk about spiritual gifts and talk about spiritual power. Some of you might remember the story of Moses being called in the book of Exodus. In the book of Exodus, Moses is minding his own business. He's a shepherd and he's just out tending his sheep one day and all of a sudden he notices to the side that there's a bush that's on fire. But the bush 
is not consumed by the fire. The bush, the fire just keeps going and going and going. And so the text tells us that Moses looked at that bush and he thought, well, now that's just amazing. And so he went closer to the bush and the closer he got, suddenly he heard the voice of God inside of that bush. God started to speak to Moses from inside of the bush and God revealed himself to Moses. And then, Moses, then God begins to tell Moses the plan that he has for his life. We read in Exodus 3, verse 7, it says, Then God told him, I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I have heard their cries of distress because of the harsh slave drivers. Yes, I am aware of their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and lead them out of Egypt into their own fertile and spacious land. It's a land flowing with milk and honey, the land where the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jezubites now live. Look, the cry of Israel has reached me, and I have seen how harshly the Egyptians abuse them. Now go, for I'm sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people out of Egypt." That's a pretty big calling that God gave to Moses. said, I want you to go to Pharaoh and I want you to speak to him and lead my people out of captivity. Well, Moses wasn't too impressed with that calling. Moses was a little intimidated by that calling, so we go back and forth for several verses where Moses is kind of questioning the wisdom of God calling him to do that. And if you read through those several verses, we're not going to do it this morning because of time, but it really boils down to one thing. Moses is really intimidated by the question a lot of us have is, well, what am I going to say? What would I say to Pharaoh? And so God encourages Moses saying, yep, I'll tell you what to say. You don't have to worry about that. I'll give you the words. And so then Moses' next big question is, well, what if they don't believe me? What do I do if they don't respond appropriately? And then God said to Moses, he said, what is in your hand? And Moses said, it's my regular old staff, my regular old staff that I used to tend the sheep. But suddenly that staff became full of power. Suddenly that staff that was an inanimate object turned into power because God was going to use that staff in a miraculous way that Moses could do miraculous things with that staff in his hand that he never could do without the power of God working in his life. Moses would use that staff to display God's power. Moses would use that staff to lead the nation of Israel through the Red Sea. Moses would use that staff to see people healed. See, that staff in the Old Testament is a picture of spiritual gifts in the New Testament. That staff in the Old Testament is a picture of how when the power of God hits something that's common, it's powerful. And that's exactly what spiritual gifts are. Spiritual gifts are the merging of something that is very common with the power of God and it makes it something that has incredible power. Suddenly we can do things that we could not have done before. But we can now do things because of the power of God working in our life. And so Moses with that staff in his hand, that is a picture of his spiritual gift that God has given to him. Now to be honest, Moses' reaction to God saying, I don't know what to say. And what do I do if they don't listen to me? Is kind of how each of us responds when we read the Great Commission. You've heard it 
probably many times, Matthew 28, 18, it says, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the end of the age. See, our reaction when God tells us, this is what I want you to do as my followers, is kind of similar to Moses. We all wonder, well, what am I going to say? And then after we get over that hurdle, then we wonder, well, what, am I, what, if, what if they don't listen to me? What if they don't respond to me? And that's why when Jesus was leaving his disciples in Acts 1 verse 8, he said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you'll be my witnesses telling about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. See, God is well aware that each of us were like Moses a little bit. Intimidated, what am I going to say? What if people don't believe me? So God says, I'll tell you what, I'm going to give you power. And suddenly what you couldn't do on your own, you will be able to do it because the power of God working inside of you. But we get intimidated like Moses and we back up and say, but I don't know. And I think what God is doing to each of us, he's trying to encourage us today and say, yeah, I've given you power to do the Great Commission. I've given you power and I've given you boldness. And I think some of us, including myself, need to step out in the season and say, okay, I'm going to trust in you, God, that the power of God working in my life is real and it's effective. But I want to go back and talk about Moses a little bit more. Because Moses is regarded in the book of Exodus as an incredible man of incredible faith. He was the man that God did use to get the Israelites out of Egypt and into the promised land. In uh, Hebrews 11, it says it regards Moses as a man of great faith. In Deuteronomy 34, it reads that God himself buried Moses after he died. And then we read in Deuteronomy 34 as well, it says, For no one has ever shown the mighty power or performed the awesome deeds that Moses did in the sight of all Israel. Moses is regarded as this incredible man of faith who did incredible miracles with the power of God. He has a list of accomplishments that go on and on and on. But yet Moses was not allowed to enter into the promised land. Moses basically got to the Israelites to the threshold of the promised land, but he never entered in. I think we look at that and say, why didn't Moses get in the promised land? He certainly had a lot of accomplishments. See, Deuteronomy 32 tells us why. It says the reason that Moses didn't enter into the promised land is because he's disobedient to God. I think we're a little surprised to read that. You think this man of great faith that gets recognized in the New Testament didn't enter into the promised land because he's disobedient with God. Now, it's important to understand that Moses never broke relationship with God. He still spent eternity with God. But because of Moses' disobedience, he never entered into the promised land, which is, a full, which is a picture of Moses never experienced the fullness of what God had for him while he was living. And I think we pause and say, well, what went wrong? What happened to Moses? You get the answer in Numbers 32. It said the Israelites were finally getting to the end of their time in the wilderness, just weeks away from entering into the promised land. And one day the Israelites come to Moses and they say, hey, we got a problem, we're out of water. Well, 
Moses did what he did all the time before when they had a problem. He would go before God. Moses and Aaron, they went before God and said, hey, we're out of water. What do you want us to do? And God said, go outside and go speak to that rock and water will come out. Well, that sounds pretty easy. That's kind of a nice thing that God says, just speak to the rock and expect water. He didn't say you got to go fast for 10 days. He didn't say go outside and dig a well. He didn't tell them, hey, go walk 10 miles and find a river. He said, just go outside and go simply speak to that rock. So what Moses did, he gathered some of the Israelites and they went to stand around the rock and Moses is getting ready to speak to the rock. But instead of doing that, Moses looks at the crowd and he says, listen, you rebels, must we bring you water from this rock? Like, where did that come from? God, you told them to simply speak to the rock, but suddenly Moses is yelling at the Israelites, calling of a bunch of rebels. Like, where did that come from, Moses? Why are you doing that? Now, if that's not enough, what Moses does, he takes a staff and he strikes the rock two times. God never told you to do that. He simply said, speak to the rock. Now you're yelling at the people and banging on the rock. But what happens? Water still came out of the rock. God still took care of the Israelites and gave them what they needed, despite the fact that Moses was disobedient to God. So because Moses sinned so big in public, God had to deal with him publicly. It does seem to us, it seems like that's kind of harsh. I mean, God, Moses is this good guy. Why is he in so much trouble? Why don't you extend a little bit more grace to him? I think there's three really good reasons why Moses got in so much trouble that day. The first reason is Moses blatantly disobeyed God. God told him to do one thing, and Moses could hear the voice of God. And Moses didn't do it. And the second thing that Moses did wrong, he didn't trust God's plan. See, a few chapters earlier, the Israelites ran out of water, and God said to Moses, take your staff, go outside, bang the rock, and water will come out. Moses went back, and he did the same thing that he had done before. He didn't trust the new plan that God had for his life. Instead, he just wanted to rely on the old thing that God did. But to be honest, I think the biggest problem that Moses had that day wasn't disobedience, and it wasn't a trust problem. I think Moses forgot the source of the spiritual power that was working in his life. I think Moses got to the place where he thought, yeah, that power, that comes from me. He forgot that the power came from God. He made the classic mistake of forgetting the source of the power that was working in his life. Now, while it might seem that Moses' consequences were pretty harsh, it's interesting. Moses never complains about his punishment. You don't find Moses going before God and saying, hey, can we have a do-over here? I think this is too harsh. But you find what Moses did is that he faithfully served God to the end of his life. And he never complained. See, I think the reason why Moses never complained is I think Moses' heart was filled with gratitude. Because I think what Moses realized is that despite his own disobedience, God still provided water to the people. That God still took care of the people that Moses was supposed to be taking care of. God still took care of them despite Moses' mistake. Now, Moses doesn't miss out on spending eternity with God. He's still saved. He's still a child of God. But he missed out on the fullness that God had for the rest of his life. 
because of his anger and his frustration and forgetting the source of power in his life. I think sometimes things like anger and frustration can make us miss out on a lot of really good things. And that's why I want to talk about character today and talk about integrity. Because none of us want to be like Moses and miss out. And I think it's easy for some people to look at the story of Moses and think, wow, this man with his incredible faith, if he can't handle the power of God in his own life, what makes me think I could handle the power of God working in my life? I think a lot of people have said, I'm just going to stay away from those spiritual gifts because, you know, they're too risky. I think it's important to always remind ourselves that Moses is not our model, but Jesus is our model on how to use spiritual gifts. Jesus used spiritual gifts, relied on spiritual gifts, and transformed people by spiritual gifts, and so that's the model we follow. And we can learn a lot from Moses on what not to do, but ultimately we follow Jesus and what he did. So I want to go now to 1 Corinthians 12. It's a good passage on understanding how do we handle spiritual power. See, 1 Corinthians is a very interesting letter, and it's, we have to remember who is the original recipients of this letter. Paul is writing this letter to the early church in the city of Corinth, and one of the things that Corinth is known for 2,000 years ago is immorality. You talk about immorality, well then kick it up a few notches if you really want to understand the Greek culture of the Corinthians back 2,000 years ago. So in that culture, it wasn't just immorality, but it was a lot of corruption, and there's very various types of different religions and a lot of cult-like religions. So the new Christian converts, they're going to their, they're now following Jesus, going to these new churches, and they're having a number of challenges as new followers of Jesus, trying to figure out what is old and what is new and what part of the past was wrong, and, and just trying to figure out how do we really follow Jesus. So in this chapter, Paul is, the whole book of Corinthians, Paul is teaching the new Christians how to be better followers of Jesus, and then in 1 Corinthians 12, he's going to teach them about spiritual gifts. So he starts out saying to the new believers, he says, Now, dear brothers and sisters, regarding your question about the special abilities the Spirit gives, I don't want you to misunderstand this. See, Paul starts out by saying, I don't want any of you to be uninformed about spiritual gifts. I want each and every one of you to know what is going on with spiritual gifts. And he's saying to them, you know, let, let's all be on the same page. See, in our Western culture, sometimes we are uninformed about spiritual gifts. And a lot of the reason why is we're uninformed about spiritual power. We don't get spiritual power very well in our Western culture. And therefore, we sometimes don't understand spiritual gifts. So Paul's saying, okay, let's all understand. Now, the Corinthians, early Corinthian followers, they had a very different paradigm when it comes to spiritual power. They were used to spiritual power. All of the cult-like followings that they did, all the other various religions, all the other gods that they followed, they expected spiritual power. So these new believers that came to Jesus expected there's going to be power if I'm going to follow Jesus because that's what they got in their old religion. They wouldn't expect to drop out of their old religion, find a new religion when there's no power. Their paradigm is that they must have power in their new religion. But see, also, they were used to in their former cultic churches of seeing miracles. They would see miracles. 
They would see healing. They would see the gift of tongues. They would see the gift of prophecy. That was part of their other religion. That was part of their pagan practices. So now they're coming into their new church, and they're seeing the exact same thing. They're seeing miracles. They're seeing signs, and they're seeing wonders, and they're wondering, what's the difference? Is there anything different from the Christian church from the non-Christian church? And that's where Paul comes in to try to explain to the people about spiritual gifts and about spiritual power. But what Paul is saying to the people in this chapter, he's saying, what you need to understand is what is the power behind the gift? Or what is the power behind the manifestation? Was it power from God? Or was it from the enemy? Or could it simply be purely emotions? But Paul wants people to understand is, yeah, you can't just look at one miracle and understand, was that from God or was it from the enemy? You have to discern that. And so the people in the early church, they're kind of confused. They're not really understanding what's the difference between their old church and their new church. See, that's why John says, in the book of 1 John, he says to test the spirits. You know that verse in 1 John 4.1, it says, Dear friends, do not believe everyone who claims to speak by the Spirit. You must test them to see if the Spirit they have comes from God. See, testing the Spirit is very different from our Western culture that often says, ignore the Spirit. Testing the Spirit is very different from ignoring the Spirit. See, in our culture, we have a tendency to say, well, if it's strange, and if I don't understand it, and I can, if I can't control it, well, then it must be demonic, or it must be emotional, or it must not be from God. No, if it's different, or if you can't explain it, that simply means that you don't understand. It doesn't mean it's bad. It doesn't mean it's wrong. It doesn't mean it needs to stop. But too often in our Western culture, if we can't control it and we can't cons- explain it, we think it's wrong. However, we can't ignore the sp- work of the Holy Spirit. And we can't ignore the work of the spiritual power because spiritual power changes people and it changes lives and it changes cities. So the mission that Paul has in this chapter, he's saying to people, I want you to understand what is the power behind the manifestation that you're seeing. Is it from God or is it from the enemy? Or maybe it's someplace in the middle. Maybe it is a person's emotions. Maybe a person is immaturity, and that's okay. I think sometimes in the church we've discounted spiritual power because we've seen people immature or get too excited, say or do something that wasn't right and that's okay. You don't learn unless sometimes you make a few mistakes. And a person doing it wrong doesn't mean it's demonic. It just means that they got to learn and grow a little bit. And I think in our church, in our culture, we want to have room for people learning and growing and developing their spiritual gifts. Nobody expects a person to use their spiritual gifts perfectly the first time. We expect a person to grow in their spiritual gifts, to make mistakes in their spiritual gifts. That's why I love having the microphone up here. Love giving people the opportunity to say something that God has put on their heart. What if they say something wrong? Well, they said something wrong. What if they say, I believe I have a prophetic word and it's wrong? It's simply wrong. And we can always go up and say, hey, you know, I don't know if that word was that accurate, but let's try again. 
We want people to have the ability to participate in services and participate using their spiritual gifts without the fear of, what if I'm wrong? We all pray for people every day that are sick, and if they're not healed, we don't say, well, that was a bad prayer. No, we don't at all. We trust the Spirit. We trust the sovereignty of God, and we just keep doing what we believe that God is calling us to do. And sometimes we don't see exactly what we'd like to see, but we try again. And the thing that I appreciate about Moses, I mean, this is such a beautiful story. Here, Moses does everything wrong. He doesn't speak to the rock. He hits the rock. He yells at the people around him, and God still performs a miracle. The man is in blatant disobedience. How much more is God going to honor somebody who's trying to do it right, but maybe they mess up a little bit more? God's going to honor them and God can still perform a miracle and he can still speak through people even if they did it wrong. There's no such thing as a perfect formula prayer. We just do it out of obedience and look, Moses didn't even speak to the rock and God brought water. It doesn't matter how we pray if we don't do it perfectly. God is still going to accomplish his purposes. And so that's a beautiful thing. We just need to be obedient. We don't need to be perfect. And I love the fact that Chad read that verse about Isaac because that's a good reminder that God doesn't expect human sacrifices. Jesus was sacrificed for each of us. We don't have to sacrifice ourselves and hoping that we're going to do it right. Jesus has already paid that price. So then Paul goes on in verse 2. And he says, you know that when you were still pagans, you were led astray and swept along in worshiping speechless idols. So Paul's going back and he's saying to people, I want you to remember what it was like when you're at your old church. When you're at your old religion. He's saying you had all these different pagan idols that were on the shelves. And they were speechless. They couldn't talk to you. But Paul's reminding the people that there was power behind them. There might not have been power in that little statue sitting there, but there was power behind them that could lead you astray. And so Paul is reminding these these early believers that spiritual power is powerful, either it's demonic or it's the Holy Spirit, and it can lead you astray if you're not careful. I think it's important to understand what does that word pagan really mean? See, when Paul is talking about pagans, he's talking about what was your life like before you had Jesus in your life? It simply means pre-following Jesus. He's talking about a former religious system that you're involved in. What he's really driving at, though, is he simply means what was your spiritual allegiance before you came to follow Jesus? Were you worshiping another false god? Were you worshiping a Greek god or maybe Zeus or Apollo? What were you worshiping? Because the power of that you were worshiping was leading you astray. See, spiritual alliance, allegiances before salvation was very important in the first century. People knew exactly who they were committed to because they were committed to that god or that deity because they expected that god or deity to lead them. And Paul's saying, look, these spiritual powers are not neutral. So we kind of think that in our Western mindset. Well, if Jesus is powerful, if it's that little statue here or there, well, there's no power in there. No, Paul's saying right here, no, there's power behind that. Don't be confused. There's power behind these little statues that you have in your homes. 
But Paul's using this word led astray, and I think this is really good to understand in this verse. He says, you are led astray. See, that phrase led astray is a very visual word picture. That term was used to describe a prisoner who had committed a crime and they were found guilty and now they were being led to prison where they would serve their life sentence. And that's what Paul is saying to the people. You know that God you used to follow? That was leading you to pay for your own sins. That was leading you to pay for your own life sentence. But now you're following a spiritual power that's going to give you everlasting and eternal life. Paul knows that there's power behind all those different statues and some of these people's homes, and he's reminding them some of what you need to do is get rid of some of the things in your own house. And then he goes on in verse 3 and says, So I want you to know that no one speaking by the Spirit of God will curse Jesus. And no one can say Jesus is as Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Paul's saying that both evil and godly supernatural power can look and sound the same. So again, it's a reminder, what is the source of power becoming behind that? Because people in those days, they were used to seeing all the gifts of the Holy Spirit, all the this manifestation gifts displayed in their own churches in their previous context. And the people are simply confused by that. So Paul is saying you need to understand the power behind it, but also look at the person. Anybody can say Jesus is Lord. But Paul's saying, remember, you can only do that by the power of your Holy Spirit. See, I think it's interesting to look at if a person declared Jesus as Lord between today and 2,000 years ago. I could go on any corner in Grand Rapids and declare Jesus as Lord, and I would not get in trouble. But in that first century culture, if you went around declaring that Jesus is Lord, you better have the power of the Holy Spirit behind you because you would be scared and intimidated to do that. You would get in deep trouble 2,000 years ago declaring Jesus as Lord on every street corner throughout Jerusalem simply because when you declare Jesus as... Well, listen to Romans 10, verse 9. Paul says it this way. If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God. It's about openly declaring your faith that you are saved. See, Paul's making a very good point to these people. If you declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, you raise him from the dead, then you will be saved. See, people in that culture, in that century, they would have been scared to stand on any street corner and declare Jesus as Lord. Because first of all, the first thing that happens when you do that is you're breaking your allegiance to the former God that you are following. And that's powerful. That's what we, they needed to do. But you're breaking allegiance to the former God that you were serving. And second, it was rejecting your po political alliance to the government. See, back in that day, you had Caesar was over the Roman Empire, and he also was known as Lord. Caesar wanted to be your savior. He wanted the, you to follow him. And suddenly you're saying Jesus is Lord? That's how Jesus got in so much trouble and got killed anyway. Because the Roman Empire, they didn't like that. Caesar's Lord. The third thing that happens when you declare Jesus as Lord, it acknowledges that Jesus is God. Now remember, a lot of the Jewish people at the time didn't believe that Jesus was God. So you are making a declaration that Jesus is part of this trinity. And the third thing it is, it's a declaration that not only do you believe in Jesus, but you actually follow his ways and his practices. 
And that's what separates a lot of people from just saying Jesus is Lord from people who really don't mean it to those who believe it, as are you actually following and doing what he's calling to do? And Paul's making the simple point, you can't say you're a follower of Jesus and declare Jesus as Lord unless you have the power of the Holy Spirit working in your life. Because you put yourself at great risk. You're going to need the spiritual power to actually even say that. So then we get to verse 4 where Paul begins to teach on spiritual gifts. And he says, there are different kinds of spiritual gifts, but the same Spirit is the source of them all. There's different kinds of service, but we serve the same Lord. God works in different ways, but it's the same God who does the work in all of us. See, the point that Paul is making here, and it's important to, to really remember, is that God gives the gifts. God decides who gives the gifts. God decides how much of the gifts that you get. And that's important to remember because there's such a thing as gift jealousy, where we can get jealous of other people's gifts, or we can get jealous of how much of another gift a person gets. And the reminder that Paul is giving here is just use your spiritual gift and stop worrying about another person's spiritual gift. Because spiritual gifts were never given out as a way to build up our identity or our ego. They were simply given from God to serve other people. And that's what Paul says in verse 7. He said, a spiritual, given, a spiritual gift is given to each of us so we can help each other. If you're going to just remember one thing from this message, spiritual gifts are given to help other people. They're to encourage other people. They're to strengthen other people. They're to support other people. They're to bring life to the community. So you can see how valuable spiritual gifts are. God intended spiritual gifts to build up the body of Christ. And you pull spiritual gifts out of church, that means you're not going to build people up very well. So then Paul goes on to discuss a few spiritual gifts in verse 8 through 11. He says, To one person the Spirit gives the ability to give wise advice. To another the same Spirit gives a message of special knowledge. The same Spirit gives great faith to another, and to someone else, the one Spirit gives the gift of healing. He gives one person the power to perform miracles, and another the ability to prophesy. He gives another, someone else, the ability to discern whether a message is from the Spirit of God or from another spirit. Still, another person is given this ability to speak in unknown languages, while another is given the ability to interpret what is being said. It is the one and only Spirit who distributes all of the gifts. He alone decides which gift each person should have. See, when we read through that list, it's been common in the American church to start to edit that list. To say which of those gifts that we believe are for today and which we think faded away. That was such a common practice in the church. And I would say probably in the last 20 or 30 years that behavior stopped. Most Christian churches in America today believe that all the gifts of the Spirit are for today. There's a segment that think they're not, but most churches believe they are for today, but some people really don't acknowledge them or really want to practice them or really want to use them for one reason or another. I think what we need to listen to Paul who says, I don't want you to be uninformed about spiritual gifts. It's easy for some people to say, I just don't want to know anything about them because I really don't want to do them. But it's important that we practice spiritual gifts because they have the power to transform people and individuals and communities and cities. And some people have used spiritual gifts wrong 
but so did Moses. But God wants to bless us through spiritual gifts. I was going to close my message and continuing to read for 1 Corinthians 12, but I decided to go back and close my message the same way that I did on our first message of the year on January 2nd. We talked about integrity today, and we talked about character. The biggest things that we can focus on our life are developing the fruit of the Holy Spirit in our own life so we use the power of gifts in a mature and responsible way. We want God to give us more holiness. We want God to bring us more integration in our life. And we all wish that we would be perfect and that we could walk out of here saying, I can use my gifts perfectly, but we know that that's a stretch. That's not going to happen. So I believe there's two things that I talked about the first Sunday of the year that we need to focus on. And I think we need to focus on them again today. And I think these two practices need to be part of our daily rhythms as we follow Jesus. There's two points that I close, closed with on January 2nd. I'm going to do it today. And the point number one is this. It's unrealistic to think that we're, every one of our challenges or troubles or our, our propensities to sin is immediately going to be resolved in the next week or two or three or even during our lifetime. But God wants us to go into this new year knowing how to turn our problems over to him. God wants us to live with the grace of being able to hand over our frustrations and our sins and our problems to him in a better way. So we all know that Jesus is our shepherd. And the more we are submitted to him, the easier our life simply is. But when we surrender every single thing over to Jesus, and not only is he the Lord of our life, but he's the Lord over our problems. He's the Lord over our difficulties and our situations. And that's why the scripture says, cast all of your cares on Jesus because he cares for you. 1 Peter 5, 7 Pour out your worries and your stress upon him and leave them there, for he always tenderly cares for you. See, part of our daily practices of following Jesus is pouring our fears and our cares and our anxieties out on Jesus. See, in the previous verse, Peter says, Clothe yourself, all of you, with humility towards one another. For God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that the proper time he may exalt you. You look at that and you say, well, how am I going to clothe myself? That's why Paul, Peter says, pour out all your worries on God. Cast all of your cares on God. That is how we can live our life. That is how we avoid... Um, doing what Moses did, turning out your anger and your frustration on people around you, you pour them out on God. You pour them out before Jesus on a daily basis. I think we have to become really good at that, really good at identifying what are the things that are really bothering us, hurting us, challenging us. So we just do that visual that Peter gave, just, just pour, put them in a bucket and just pour them all out. But the second thing I think that we need to remember, that because I think often we fail to remember, is that we stand in the presence of God so often. And many of us are totally unaware. There's many times that we're in the presence of God and we have absolutely no idea. But the scripture is very clear. 
that every time we pray, we are in God's presence. So Hebrews 10, 19 says, it says, and now we are brothers and sisters in God's family because of the blood of Jesus. And he comes to us, let me start over. And now we are brothers and sisters in God's family because of the blood of Jesus. And he welcomes us to come into the most holy sanctuary in the heavenly realm boldly and without hesitation. I mean, do you know what that scripture just said? It said every time you pray, you're in the presence of God. Every time you come to church and you're together in the body of Christ, you're in the presence of God. Every time we read our Bible, we're in the presence of God. Every time we're meeting as friends to talk about the Lord, we are in the presence of God. When you're scared or lonely or fearful, you start praying, you are standing in the presence of God and there's angels all around us. I think sometimes we act like, well, maybe if I pray, maybe this prayer will get to God. No, you're standing in front of God when you're praying, and He's hearing every single thing that you're saying. I think sometimes we wonder, well, I pour out my anxieties on God, but it doesn't feel like it. Yeah, He's watching you. When you're praying, He's in that room with you, watching you pour it out. Hebrews 4.16 says this, Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence. Not only are we welcome in God's presence, but he says we come in there with confidence. Don't come in there thinking, oh, I don't deserve it. He really doesn't like me. He really doesn't want me here. No, he says you come in confidence because I want you in my presence. If God didn't, If God didn't want us in his presence, he would never have given us Jesus. But the fact that he's given us Jesus, he's given us eternal life, and he's given us salvation is because he wants us in his presence. With confidence. Why? So that we may receive mercy and grace in our time of need. We all need grace. We all need mercy. And God says you can come at any time you want. And with confidence, I will give you what you need. And that is good news. Because to be honest, I think a lot of us feel a little bit like Moses. You're sick of people. You're sick of people. I'm sick of people. I only like you that are here. (laughs) Nobody else. But you feel that way. It's hard to watch the news. It's hard to listen to people because we're so frustrated. What happened to Moses could happen to most of us probably in a second or two. You're just frustrated. You want to lash out at people and call them rebels. (laughs) That's going to get us in trouble. That's why we can come boldly before God at our time of great need and he'll give us grace and mercy. So let's focus on that this year. Let's focus on that as we learn how to use spiritual gifts and we learn spiritual power. We learn how to cast our cares on God so we can use our gifts. So let's pray. God, I thank you.
that we're welcome in your presence. That we're standing in your presence right now. That we're before you. And there's angels all around us. There's spiritual activity that's happening all around us. But yet we are standing in front of you with confidence. And we come before you, God, and we ask for mercy and we ask for grace. And God, I'm going to ask for each of us that you would give us more boldness to believe in the power that you've given to each of us. God, I come before you with confidence asking, Lord, for each of us that you'd help us all to identify the spiritual gifts that you've given to us. As we go down the journey this year, Lord, would you reveal to each of us supernaturally what gifts that you have for us? And some of us know some of the gifts that we have, and some of us, we might not be aware of all the gifts that we have, and so, Lord, we are asking that you would show us. God, I'm asking that you would mature us in our spiritual gifts. I'm asking, God, that you would instruct us on how to use our spiritual gifts. And God, I pray that we would see more supernatural spiritual activity even in our own church. That we would see people using words of knowledge and words of wisdom. That we would see people using their gift to perform miracles. That we'd see people using their gifts to prophesy. That we'd see people using their gifts to discern spirits. That we'd see people using their gifts to speak in tongues. That we'd see people using their gifts to interpret tongues. That we'd see people using their gift to give advice. God, I pray that you'd build each of us up with the gifts of the Holy Spirit. God, I pray to thank you, Lord, that you've given us power now, God, give us the understanding to know how to use your power with integrity and character. And God, I'm asking that you would pour out your power even in a greater degree on each of us and on this church. Lord, we come before you with confidence. And we ask that you'd fill up the sanctuary with people that don't know you that you'd fill up this church with people who are new believers. That would fill up this church, it'd be like the church of Corinth, that people would come in and say, I don't know how to do any of this stuff. God, we're praying for that, Lord, that you'd fill us, that Lord, I pray for each of us that are here or listening online, that you'd give us divine appointments and divine connections this week, Lord, to share our story of what you've done in our life with somebody who doesn't know you. God, we pray that this church would multiply, not because people are leaving other churches, but it would multiply because of new believers. God, we pray that in this church. Lord, would you equip each of us to be missionaries and to share our story? Give us a confidence to know that you will show us and speak to us what to say and give us boldness, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. In Jesus name.